Hi, this is Tia Sarkar. I play Sabine Wren on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to Twin Suns Transmission. Of course, it ends where it becomes a desert planet with twin suns. Hey, my name is Taylor Gray, and I play Ezra Bridger in Star Wars Rebels. I hope you enjoy this week's episode of Twin Suns Transmission. Here's where the fun begins. Let's make this epic more interesting. You've taken your first step into a larger world. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Twin Suns Transmission. I'm your host Eric Pfeiffer joined as always by Jesse Sanfilippo. Hey guys. Welcome to episode 189 and Jesse before we do anything I would just like to wish you a happy life day. Happy life day. <laughs> yeah I mean this is Life Day, as, as the day that this is posted, it's Life Day, so happy Life Day to all of our listeners out there. Make sure to celebrate Life Day with your friends and family and give everybody a big, giant Wookiee hug. Um, <laughs> I think Life Day is, is a cool holiday, and I'm glad more people are becoming more aware of it. And so to celebrate Life Day, Jesse and I are going to kind of take a blast from the past and talk a little bit about... The holiday special from 1978, uh, and then after that we'll go into talking about the latest episode of The Mandalorian. So, Jesse, I would like to to just apologize in advance for the fact that <laughs> we watched this again, well, at least for me again. But you know, it is it is a piece of history, and I feel like we all all Star Wars fans should should watch it at some point in their lives. With all of the technology and and everything, we've had, you know, the Star Wars movies restored and remastered and, you know, the sound is amazing and the new special effects are still great. This uh, is pretty terrible when watching it. But um, oh what did you think of just the holiday special as a whole? You know, I every time... Either, you know, you or just anyone that I know who has seen it, every time I've mentioned, oh, oh I've never seen it, well, just don't. Like, you don't know, yeah. need to. Um, it, everybody always talks about how bad it is. Um, and I didn't, I, I kind of, like, thought everyone was over-exaggerating a little bit. Oh, like, it can't be that bad. Like, it has to be, like, like, come on. It's something right. Star Wars. Um, and and I, I don't think it was that bad. But there but it was also that bad at the same yeah. time. There was like parts where I was like, oh, this is really cute and fun. And there was like a lot of parts that I was like, I don't know if I could do this if this <laughs> lasts yeah. another minute long. <laughs> yeah. Well, a mixed bag of feelings. <laughs> I, I was actually gifted a bootleg version of this years ago by my uncle. And he's like, you know, this is really bad. I'm interested to see, because you're such this massive fan, if you can make it through it. And at that time, I mean, I was a young, I was younger, I was a kid, and I had put it in and watched it, and I was like, oh, this isn't bad. And then when you get the Chewbacca's family, and it's just like the kid playing with his toys, and then there's like that circus, I'm like, no, I'm done. This yeah. is, I am, I am done. <laughs> right. So. I agree. The circus was a lot 
it was a lot. It was hard to watch there for yeah. a couple of minutes. I just kind of tuned out and played Animal Crossing and then waited for more things to start happening when those kinds of moments came up. <laughs> yeah, probably best. Um, <laughs> but there, there's a lot to this. And honestly, if you guys want to just listen to us instead of watching it, that might be more entertaining. I don't know. So this is all about Chewbacca trying to get back to his family on Kashyyyk for Wookiee Life Day, or some say Wookiee Christmas. And this was released on November 17th in 1978, so very old, about a year and a half after Episode Four, uh, the original Star Wars was released in theaters. So, you know, everyone was excited. They had all the original actors, right? Harrison Ford, Peter Mayhew, Anthony Daniels, Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill all came back for this and it was it was definitely interesting but you know life day has sort of gained some traction over over recent years and life day was actually mentioned in the mandalorian in season one the first episode of season one and uh the reason why we're kind of covering this now is because today the day that we're posting this podcast the lego holiday special is airing on disney plus so we kind of wanted to do a little review here so hopefully you guys are going to enjoy this um like you talked about jesse there's some crazy really just messed up parts to this um <laughs> honestly the more that i watch it though there are certain parts that i've kind of come around to a little bit and one of those parts is uh mala chewbacca's wife is trying to cook bantha surprise and that one character's on there and she's like whip whip stir whip whip stir stir whip you know and i i that part i was like oh my god what am i watching the first couple times but now i'm like that is something that i'm going to say when i make food in the kitchen now <laughs> Honestly, on my first go around, even that was one of my like top three favorite moments, probably of the whole thing. Um, that I found absolutely hilarious. Yeah, it was like a guy in drag, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. that was so great. <laughs> yeah, the weird thing though too is as I was watching this this time, I was trying to think like you know our our way of living and our our way of life definitely changes right over the years our culture changes and old movies aren't don't necessarily have the same appeal some of them anyway i mean i think with star wars it's a little bit different but i think in this particular situation some of the really weird things that they brought in like jefferson starship and diane carroll uh, some of those things were maybe at the time to appeal to people who weren't necessarily Star Wars fans. When we were watching the YouTube version, they're like, the Incredible Hulk and Wonder Woman will be played at a later time or something like that. I know. I so, saw that. I think maybe some of those things, uh, I, I am not familiar. I don't know if this is dating me, but I'm not familiar with Jefferson Starship or Diane Carroll. I don't know who they are other than their appearance here. But maybe back in 1978, they were they were people that were would draw attention to the Star Wars holiday special. I don't know. I I agree. I don't. I've never heard of any of those people either. But the way they were introduced did make me feel like it was like a very time period thing. Of yeah. Like, come on, here these we've got these uh guest stars. <laughs> yeah. With Beatrice Arthur, I'm like, okay, cool. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. It was it was a little weird. It was it was very long. It was like an hour and a half of, you know, they probably could have made it twenty minutes. Right. That's what I was gonna say. Is I feel like as a whole, there are a lot of parts to it that 
I would watch as like a fun thing to do every year on Life Day because there's some very just like wholesome holiday-y moments mm-hmm. with Chewbacca's family and the Boba Fett cartoon I thought was really great. But it's just there's there's so much that could just be cut out that would need to be cut out before I made it like an annual even thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it could be cut to 30 minutes and be be a really fun and cute thing to do, but like grandpa in his like weird virtual reality. Yeah. That was a lot. <laughs> it's like a weird weird fantasy watching grandpa. Yeah. Watch a pretty lady dance around. I was like this is <laughs> a little too that? much. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah definitely a different era of comedy there (laughs) well let's talk about the story a little bit and the cool parts right so we do have this story that i feel like you know the theme has has continued on as i talked about before we have all these original actors and the fact that han solo is trying to get chewbacca back for wookie life day i think is a pretty cool thing a lot of the footage was recycled from a new hope so when you see the tie fighters come and you see star destroyers and all that literally take it directly from episode four um i'm sure that was a budget thing and we never see any blasters that weren't like when the stormtroopers invade chewbacca's house they don't shoot their blasters right you know they um just stand there with their guns and i think at the end han solo like knocks one of the blasters off the ledge or off the tree or whatever it is so we never see any sort of special effects that weren't already recycled footage from episode four but I do think that the story is kind of cool. You know, Luke is with R2 working on something. Leia is with 3PO. Chewbacca's with Han. And and at the end, they kind of all come together and celebrate Life Day together, which I thought was, was a cool story. And I, I'm glad that they're kind of thinking about expanding on this a little bit. Yeah, no, I definitely thought it was cute. All of those, like, actual story movement parts because it's really just like the the filler stuff the dancing people that was kind of like eh. but like all that all the actual parts where we have the characters we know and love and even getting new Chewbacca's family kind of um introducing more lore almost a little bit to to the Wookiees and what their life is like was really cool to see so I I do appreciate it for kind of adding to the lore of uh Star Wars especially a, a you know, a species as important as Wookiees. So let me tell you this, or ask you this, I should say, do you wish you had that hour and a half back? Or do you, <laughs> are you happy that you watched it? I'm happy I watched it. Um, I have absolutely no regrets watching it. I think if I was ever to watch it again, I just now know where I would fast forward. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and But I do, I do think it was really cute. I love the part at the end. Carrie Fisher singing is, mm-hmm. it's, nice to see i think now you know missing and loving carrie fisher um but love her to death but they, what that part was even a little hard to watch yeah, yeah. just because it's just weird but it, it's like it's weird but cute i don't know the end is cute because i love seeing all the wookies in their little robes and their little orbs but like i could have done without like a five minute song yeah princess leia song (laughs) yeah but um but overall no regrets would watch again just maybe like like 20 years down the road 
Give it 20 years I mean, and I, watch it again. I might make it a life day tradition. Like, it might be something I watch every now and then around the holidays or around life yeah. day. But definitely, definitely parts of fast-forwarding fast through. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't mind watching it as long as I have something else to do. You know, if I'm sitting there on the couch and I have my phone, I can pop open Galaxy of Heroes or something. If I had to, like, watch every right. single thing, you know, keep my face glued to the TV, that would be a little much... Um, but I kind of want to talk real quick for maybe five minutes or maybe less than that. Let's talk a little bit about the Boba Fett animated part of this. The first appearance of Boba Fett we get in this. And honestly, this was like one of the coolest parts to me. The first appearance of Boba Fett, Han Solo is looking for this talisman that makes things invisible. And when we see him, he's sort of upside down. He's hanging by, uh, Chewbacca's got him hanging and Chewbacca puts out this distress call and Luke and R2 and 3PO crash land. They see Boba Fett and they think Boba's a friend. Turns out he's working for the Empire and things all go crazy. There's this sleeping virus that uh, is kind of going around um, and in order to keep them alive they have to hang upside down to have all the blood rush to the head and and stuff like that. So uh, Chewbacca and Boba go out to look for this remedy and that's when Boba goes and sort of talks to uh, Vader. Um, so what did you think of the the little Boba Fett series? I thought it was really cute. It's definitely one of my favorite parts. It, I love like the colors even were just so cool. Very 70s, 80s, yeah. vibrant, psychedelic. Um, but I thought it was a, a really cool introduction to Boba Fett, them like thinking he was a friend. It almost had some like Mandalorian like vibes in the beginning. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, it was it, that was a definitely a very cool addition to I, I would I would assume you know at the time when they didn't have when you didn't have much about Boba Fett, especially in the seventies, and then everybody's so excited about him, and you get hardly any of him in the movies. That that must have been really really exciting at that time. Um, to get that extra bit of Boba Fett, a character that everybody, you know, dies over. Yeah. So I thought it was really fun. I liked it a lot. Their face, <laughs> some of the, the animation of the human faces, though, was a little scary. Han Solo, but, for sure. Yeah, terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> but other than their faces, I thought the animation was really cool. Yeah. And the weapon that Boba Fett has is the one that Mando's was modeled after. It's Yes straight for that so that's like cool. one of one of the main reasons i wanted to rewatch because i heard that early on that that was where that came from so yeah one of the other reasons why i'm glad to have seen it all right let's go ahead into talking about chapter 11 of the mandalorian on disney plus this one was titled the heiress uh, directed by Bryce Dallas Howard, who also directed an episode in season one. Now, Bryce Dallas Howard is the daughter of Ron Howard, who directed Solo, so they are really making their mark on the Star Wars franchise. I know, at least I'm pretty sure that Ron Howard and George Lucas are friends, so I think there's you know perfect reason to have them all be involved in this. Now, Jesse, I will say... This episode was the shortest episode of this season so far, but in my opinion, the best one. Yeah, I totally agree. I was a little disappointed when I saw how short it was going to be when I started watching it, but there was absolutely zero disappointment by the end. <laughs> yeah. 
Alright guys, if you have not seen this episode, we will be talking about spoilers, so turn back now. We don't want to be the ones to spoil you, but okay, three, two, one, and let's begin. Jesse, this was <laughs> insane. We get Bo-Katan, wow. we get the Mandalorians, we get a lot of reoccurring species, the Quarren, the Mon Calamari, Moff Gideon makes his return in this season. I, I am just over the moon, but with Bo-Katan and those Mandalorians that showed up, the music just made everything seem just, you know, that much more powerful. I, you know, we'll go, we'll go scene by scene here, but Bo-Katan, can you believe it? No, I honestly can't. <laughs> I feel like we just said last week, we're like, we're not going to get anybody like that we already know for like a while. <laughs> yeah. We were like ready to just sail through and get some more just, you know, searching episodes, finding the Mandalorians. I just can't believe that the first true Mandalorian we come across is Bo-Katan. It's so exciting. And for her to be played by her voice actress, Katie Sackoff, like yeah. what? How did we get so lucky? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So cool. I I am right there with you. Um I had like a whole thing of notes before I wanted to even talk about Bo-Katan, but that's just right out the window now just because we've <laughs> already talked about her and I'm totally fine with that. I I I cannot believe that we got her so quickly, and well, I guess it hasn't really been that fast. This is chapter three on the second season. Um, you know, there were maybe rumors. I don't know if if IMDb had the fact that she was going to be in there. I saw her at Celebration last year, and I'm assuming she had already filmed, you know, filming for season two had already been done, because with quarantine and everything, they had to have already been in post-production by the time everything shut down, so at least she had known about the role, but I, I remember going up and seeing her and, and getting a, a picture from, I believe it was Clone Wars, signed by Katie Sockoff. She was extremely nice, and and I just, I, I love her character even just watching Clone Wars and Rebels again. And if you have not watched Clone Wars or Rebels, this, you know, I think the episode was still enjoyable, but if you have seen those parts, it just makes it that much more of a treat. Oh, um, yeah, I, I mean, if you haven't at this rate, honestly, the way Clone Wars is built, you can just go through and look at the pictures, find the ones that have Mandalorians in it, and just watch those. Because it's only like maybe like, what, 10 episodes total, maybe less. Um and it adds so much to the show, I think. And it will continue to. It'll be so much fun if you just do that. Yeah, definitely agree. I mean, these characters play a role. And I would say with Bo-Katan, it's more in the Clone Wars than it is in Rebels. She's not in Rebels very much. But Rebels does have a very impactful scene um, where she gets the Darksaber, right? She has that Darksaber and she was approved. She had the stamp of approval by the other clans to sort of lead Mandalore and she raised that dark saber up and um now she doesn't have it and now she's upset that she doesn't have it and so that's what her and her little group of Mandalorians are doing on Trask they are essentially acting as pirates taking all of these weapons from the empire i mean Trask is a black market port um this port is essentially you know bunch of scum trying to illegally take and sell things 
but that's what they're trying to do. Bo-Katan and her group taking all these weapons with, it seemed like an attempt to retake Mandalore back, right? And I'm assuming through this, Bo was expecting to come across either Moff Gideon or the Darksaber, or both. Yeah, 100% agree. There's so much to unpack in everything that Bo-Katan said in this episode, I feel like. Um it's so exciting that she's because I kind of assumed when I saw Moff Gideon with the lightsaber with the lightsaber with the dark saber at the end of season one um I just like assumed that something horrible had happened to Bo-Katan you know like that he had like killed her mm-hmm. to get it um defeated her in some way so I'm really glad to see obviously that that was not the case um so I'm just interested in what else that story holds how she lost it um assuming that happened in the purge so it's, I don't know. I, I just, I, I think that the, having Bo-Katan is so cool. She said so many crazy things that just give me so many more questions. Like, I just thought some of the, like, the language she used, like, we, we will see a new Mandalore on the throne. And we know she's talking about herself because she says it then later. I just think it's funny. I don't, I know this is very, probably very trivial, but like the word Mandalore and Mandalorian is almost the same word like they're you know like it's like we will see a new mandalore on the throne why say it like that like i don't well am i like historically mandalore because there's mandalore the great and in you know in legends there's mandalore the ultimate mandalore the great mandalore the indomitable there's different mandalores and they lead they sort of sit on the throne. It's kind of like a king or a queen or whatever. Um, they call it the leader is Mandalore. So, yeah. So um, I think that is sort of just with her, you know, wanting to be, I think it could be just a, a reference to her or maybe just a different type of person. I don't know. Yeah, no, I think it's exactly what you said. I just think as someone who's never read any of those books, I just didn't, or right, that's all in the like old. It's um, in legends, legends yeah. Books, yeah. So I guess I just didn't. I wasn't aware of that terminology. So that's really cool, um, and I love that she. At first, I thought she was saying this is the way, like sarcastically. Like I don't know. Do you think she's saying it sarcastically, or do you think it's? To you, me, it seems like, sarcastically. That's how I took it. The first time it seemed like that, but at the end, like, I don't know if she was just saying it to Jin in, in that way because she, like, grew respect for him, or it, it almost seemed like when she was saying it at the end that it was like, like, she believed it. When you run through the amount of stormtrooper fire that Din Djarin ran through, right. launching detonators and being shot at like crazy you gotta have respect for that (laughs) i mean that that was that was insane i was watching it talking to amanda i was like he's insane like he's like gotta be insane but it worked and i don't know he's he's crazy but i love it he's so confident in his abilities to do things and maybe it's not even just confidence it's it's desperation in that time you know but I, I feel like it's just like a willingness, like a willingness to put himself at risk for things that he feels matter. Like he just found another group of Mandalorians. He just just found out. Like what was shocking to me too is that he didn't seem to know what she was talking about um, when 
he called her when when Bo when Bo-Katan calls him a children of the watch, he's like the watch. Like he didn't even know what she was saying. Right. Um, that was surprising. Yeah. But and I was confused for a second too when we were watching this, only because she was part of Death Watch. But then, you know, obviously she's Clan Crees. And so she wasn't Death Watch is not it's not a family. It's not a clan. It's a group of people who, what did she call them? She, I can't remember. She zealots or something like that. That le, that like you know right. separated themselves from other Mandalorians. And the oh. children of the Watch are there only to reestablish the way of the Mandalore and uh, you know the co- their covert way or whatever. The ancient. She calls it the ancient way, which is kind of what Death Watch was. But did they just, like, drop the death so that they don't sound so, like, mean? Now they just call themselves the Watch. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Or maybe that's just, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but we do know from the first season that the Mandalorians that rescued Din Djarin were the Death Watch. They rescued him from the Separatists. So... That, that's where that comes from but I thought it was interesting not only did they have their their little their little issues with each other right he's like oh you're not true Mandalorians and he takes off you know and they save his life twice to kind of make a deal with him and to to help each other out so I think I hope we get more from them but I I wouldn't be surprised if this is where we leave Bo I don't know I think it's where we'll leave her for a while. Yeah. She obviously has her own mission that has nothing to do with what he's trying to get. And she's completely sent him in, in a whole other direction. So I, I'd love to I'd love to see if maybe, maybe once he finds Ahsoka and does more for the child, if maybe in another season even, or later this season, he becomes more connected to... I mean, I don't know what to call a true Mandalorian anymore because it is because Bo-Katan, okay, because Death Watch claims to be true Mandalorians. The Mandalore we saw in the Clone Wars was like an evolved, peaceful Mandalore that was supposed to be, you know, not the the Mandalorian war way. Bo-Katan was Death Watch. Bo-Katan broke away from Death Watch, sides with Sabine, gets sad about Satine. <laughs> is she, like, who's... Like, I feel like I'm weaving, like, a weird web, but, like, is she... What's the true Mandalore? Like, what are we trying to get back to? You know? Like, are we... Are these zealots what Mandalorians were, truly, in the past, and we're, they're trying to get all the way back to that, those ancient times and therefore they're the true Mandalorians or is like the progressive Bo-Katan born on Mandalore the true form well, of Mandalorians I think I don't think this pacifist Mandalore is the way that they're trying to go back to I don't I don't think this is not the way I, I don't think that is what they're trying to go for because Bo-Katan even was a member of Death Watch and she only left when she betrayed the throne only when a non-Mandalorian, Maul, took the throne 
and the dark saber and led Mandalore. That's the only reason why she she left, because she was against Satine from the beginning. She she was part of the right. warrior like past, and I I think that that's still kind of what she wants. She's you know she still does things for the for the greater good for Mandalore. I mean even. Man, uh, even Dinjarin was like, "You're changing the terms of our deal," and she's like, "This is the way." Like she does things, just I wouldn't say she's a bad person. I don't think she's a bad person, but I think she is not. This is not the pacifist that we see in Satine. You know, she's right. a totally different character, and I think returning things to the ancient way, like what Dinjarin and and the uh, the children of the Watch. I think they're trying to go back to sort of the ancient ways where you can't take your helmet off, you can't do all this other stuff. They're still warrior-like people, and so I don't think they're too far off from each other. But I think the 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 rest of Mandalore is kind of a little bit more evolved and and less strict with their rules. So I don't know. I don't I don't think they're that different though. Maybe then Bo-Katan is just that like perfect middle ground and she's like meant to bring balance back to mandalore (laughs) she's the chosen one of the mandalorians right like satine's way doesn't work being pacifist mandalore doesn't fit it's like i can never take my helmet off and i'm hungry and i can't eat at a restaurant doesn't fit um (laughs) so like maybe it's just gonna be bo-katan's job to just like reestablish balance on mandalore we're warriors but we're not animals Let's rebuild this. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the Empire in this and Moff Gideon. So we know Moff Gideon has the dark saber. We saw him with it at the end of season one. And when Bo-Katan goes in, she grabs that dude, sort of the captain or commander, whoever he is, and throws him against the wall and says, Where is it? And she's like, Where's the dark saber? Does he have it or whatever? And the guy's like, If you have to ask... If you're asking, you already know where it is, or you already know the answer. I don't remember the exact quote, but this is interesting now, you know. So we we know that Bo is going to be after Moff Gideon, and I think that might be the path where we see her again. You know, I said maybe mm-hmm. this is where we leave Bo, but if we are going to continue the hunt and the quest for the dark saber to return back to its original owners, then that may be where we see Bo. I just from what we got with Din Djarin and where the child are going to go, I don't, I don't know if Bo's story is going to continue in that direction. But um, kind of going back to Moff Gideon, maybe we'll see her there. Well, yeah, I agree. Because we know Moff Gideon is the child means more to him than we know. Um, we still don't <laughs> yeah. know what that means, but he obviously it's something he isn't going to stop. She's not going to stop searching for our little baby Yoda. So yeah, I think that would be a perfect way for their paths to meet and for, you know, Bo-Katan's cause to also become the Mandalorian's cause and to get a a nice little team up there would be awesome again. (laughs) And we knew from dialogue and actions by Gideon in season one that he was this ruthless ruler. I mean, one of the scout troopers was like, yeah, he just killed somebody for interrupting him, you know? (laughs) And in this one, 
the guy who Bo-Katan is throwing up against the wall, he's like, well, you might let me live, but he definitely won't. So Moff Gideon's this, literally this ruthless ruler in the Empire, I would say, I mean, no one's going to be close to Vader when it comes to ruthlessness, but I don't think that we've seen anybody that's like this that will literally just take out their own people for interrupting somebody, you know, the slightest little thing. And with that, kind of piggybacking off of that, we got something in this episode It was sort of like space cyanide. I think that's what, what it is, cyanide, right? Where they like bite their teeth and they just yeah. kill themselves. We've not seen that before in all of Star Wars. We we know that Vimerati had something like that in Phasma, but we've just never seen that on screen or seen anybody do it. Right, and for him to... You know, I feel like that's mainly used to be captured by your enemy so you don't get tortured and, you know, reveal your secrets. But, I mean, he did get captured by his enemy, but I just thought it was funny that it was it's to avoid... To save himself. Re- yeah. Right, it's a, to avoid being returned to his commander. It's like Gideon is insane. He has to be just like one of the most deranged Imperials that we've seen. Yep. Yeah, I, I'm very excited to see where this goes. And I think Giancarlo Esposito does a fantastic job as Moff Gideon. And we didn't really even get to see him too much in this episode. But the back of his head. <laughs> yeah, just to kind of know that he's still there and he's still prevalent and will be prevalent as we continue on with the story. I think that's that's awesome. One thing I do want to say, and this has nothing to do with the story, but to me... At the end of Rogue One, when we see Darth Vader go and just massacre all those those rebel troopers on the uh, the rebel blockade runner, the Tantu Four, that reminded me of this episode. This episode reminded me of that with the Mandalorians just messing up the stormtroopers, just <laughs> taking them down. And they're like, close the door, close the door, close the door. It was kind of like the rebels trying to get the plants through the door. They're trying to close all the doors and everything. And then, obviously, nothing works out for them. There's four Mandalorians, and obviously the Stormtroopers, they stand more of a chance against the Mandalorians than, Vader, than the Rebel Troopers did against Vader. But I think, you know, it kind of remind me of just a massacre. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. I, I also just love that in this episode we got to see so much of the Mandalorian gadgets kind of in live action with all of their little, like, rope like whip things that come out like all the things we've gotten to see like sabine use um when she's kind of fighting against ezra and kaden kanan training um in animation we're getting to see now in live action which is just it's just kind of cool to see all these little gadgets just more and more mandalorian gadgets getting used as the episodes go on yeah and I think what I really like about it, and I always talk about how I love this too, is the is the attention to detail and the the callbacks and the continuity. You know, there are so many people out there that really just like they look for a mistake to be made. Like even with the helmets. Remember in, in season one where they talk about Dinjara not taking off his helmet and then we think back to characters like Bo Katan and Pre Vizsla and <laughs> Sabine. They take their helmet off and they're like, Hey, screwed this up. They messed it up, you know. <laughs> There's a continuity error. It's like, no, just there's an explanation. You think Dave Filoni and and John Favreau and and the you know, even Kathleen Kennedy, they're not gonna make a mistake that blatant. That's not that's not the way. They have a story group, Pablo Hidalgo, Matt Martin, all these guys, they're not gonna make a silly mistake like that. But I was getting off track there. But 
I love the continuity and the way that they continue to bring back even small details. In the Clone Wars, uh, Bo-Katan has that little knife, that little like dagger thing that comes yes. out of her gauntlet, and we see her use that again in this, which is something that I believe we've only see Bo- seen Bo have. So, it's pretty it was... brutal, too. Yeah. She like, stabs one of the troopers in the neck like three times yeah. in a row. <laughs> it's like, jeez, Bo. <laughs> she's reminding you that she's like not a pure hero like yeah this is she's 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 not a bad guy but she's not a good guy either <laughs> yeah definitely and i think we'll touch on one final thing about this episode there we could be talking about this one for a long time there's so many good parts to it but throughout this episode i mean to me at the end of the season one where we have that conversation with uh, the armorer and armando dinjarin and she basically tells him to you know reunite him with his own kind um to me i sort of wasn't sure exactly what she meant does she mean the yoda species like does she does Din, dinjarin have to you know, find this species, which is apparently really rare and like such a mystery to the galaxy. And the only members of that species that we know of that are in canon are Yaddle and Yoda, who are both members of the council, very strong force users. And we've seen this baby do some crazy things. So is his job to take him back to his own species? Or is she referring to specifically Jedi of any species, Jedi of any kind? Um, and it seemed like, based off of what we got in this episode, that it's just the Jedi or the Force users, because we find out that Bo-Katan is going to lead Din Djarin and the child to the Caladan city on the forest planet of Corvus to go see Ahsoka Tano. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Granted, Ahsoka is not technically a Jedi. She's still a Force user, but I think that'll be close enough to the goal, right? Right. <laughs> I mean, that's... It just... Uh, I am so happy, but I don't even I don't even know where to start with my happiness. But I, it, it definitely... It totally makes sense that this would be the... Jedi that we're that we're looking for, especially when the intel is coming from Bo-Katan. There's no other Jedi that she would know the location of. Um, if we're getting the information from Mandalorians, she is the most um, Mandalorian-connected Jedi. Um, so it makes complete sense for it to be her. And and also just, I feel like all my dreams are coming true because. <laughs> Because A, we're getting Ahsoka in live action, but B, I feel like I've been saying this for such a long time that she is connected in so many parts of her story to children in the Force. Um, And regardless of whether or not she still considers herself a Jedi, um, I just feel like that would be her mission during this time, is to take care of and guide all of these children who will be popping up with force powers and have nowhere to go um, and nothing to do with them. Or, or she, maybe she's sending them to, you know, Luke somewhere down the line. I don't know where Luke's at in his life right now exactly if he's started up his own order yet or what he's doing exactly in this moment of time. But 
it makes sense for her to be kind of part of that mission in some way because of how connected she's been to children in, in her novel with little Hadala Fardy um, from the Galaxy's Edge crystal that you brought back and what she says in that in that holocron message. Like there's just so many things that point her to going and finding Ezra at the end of Rebels. Like there's just so much that yeah. makes sense about her being a part of this little baby's life. Yeah. And I love, again, going back to the continuity, you think when the Lucasfilm story group sits down and they talk about Clone Wars and they talk about Mandalorians and they talk about what's going to happen in, in, in the Mandalorian TV show, the final season we had Bo and Ahsoka and the Siege of Mandalore and the Impact and all of that. And then, of course, you go now with Dave Filoni having a big role in the Mandalorian keeping that continuity having Bo in here and kind of referring to Ahsoka we can only just assume that we're going to get her within the next few episodes hopefully or maybe they're just going to keep her till the end and that'll just be our surprise yeah. his ship the Razorcrest is in bad shape I have a feeling we're not going to get straight to Corvus right away right Right. Also, does it bother you in any little way that right after they started building the ship in sculpture form, um, it, for you guys all to, you know, put your, I don't know, what is it called again? What are you guys? Oh, the, ra the HasLab Razor Crest. HasLab. Yeah. Does it bother you a little bit that now it's like, <laughs> just like a hot mess? <laughs> it's no uh, longer going to look at <laughs> like that. <laughs> Not me. I'm sure some people no. aren't happy about it, but... Yeah. I just thought it was funny. I just thought it was funny. I don't think it should really bother anyone, but it's yeah. just hilarious. It's all it's sleek like, and new and awesome paint right. job on it, and now it's literally got, like, <laughs> spider webs and fish in it and stuff, so. Like, yeah, it's like, ropes and things. Yeah. Like, it's, like, put back together like a ship with, like, tethers and. Yeah. Like a, like a, like a, like a water ship, like a pirate ship. Yeah. Oh, it's a boat now. It's a boat. So. Yeah, I don't think we're getting to Ahsoka anytime quickly, at least. But I also didn't think we were getting to Bo-Katan anytime soon either. And here she is in episode three. So Yeah. Well, we've got five more episodes left of this season. And we've already gotten Boba Fett and Bo-Katan. They've already taken things from the books, like the Aftermath series, and taking characters who were previously only in animation and brought them into major roles in live action so i can only just you know i'm sitting on the edge of my seat and i cannot wait for this season to continue i know i know you know good things come to those who are patient or whatever the heck that stupid thing is <laughs> but i just want it now i'm so excited for the remainder of this season i i feel like this last episode the heiress uh was just just killed it it just made me so excited for the rest and i just have to applaud bryce dallas howard for such an amazing job on this episode because it was so good it was so good it was so good. And I just, this episode in particular, I think really solidified it from, like, I, I feel like up until now, this has been very standalone, um, been very just like something you could 
and I, don't, I, I guess people could have opinions on whether they think this is a good thing or a bad thing. I think it's an awesome thing. Um, but up until now, it was a very standalone, very anyone. And I still think anyone could jump in and watch it and have a great time. Um, but it wasn't very connected um, story-wise to any specific one storyline from the past. Um, it was just like, it just felt like a totally new, here's this guy, he's going to do random adventures, and we're going to get to see what the Empire's doing um, right after right after it falls. But now, like, bringing in, like, Mandalorians that we know, it just feels like I'm, like, we're getting an extension of, of Clone Wars and Rebels and, like, picking up almost where not exactly where we left them, but it's it's actually with Bo-Katan back. And if we're talking about Ahsoka, and and I just like could I don't want to get myself too excited, but I could name like three more characters that I think we're gonna get <laughs> at this point. But it just is really exciting because it feels like those are some of at least for me personally, and I know for a lot of people, those are some of my favorite parts of Star Wars is Rebels and Clone Wars. Um, and it just feels like we're getting that extended in live action. I know it's an extension of all of Star Wars, but this episode in particular just makes it feel so much more connected yeah. to those particular storylines. I'm and so excited. Could this be the avenue that Lucasfilm uses to expand on the story of Ezra and Thrawn? Because yes. we know <laughs> that... Ahsoka was going to help Sabine look for Ezra, right? And Sabine's obviously a Mandalorian. We're going to be looking for for uh, Ahsoka. So it would be interesting if this was the avenue. I mean, a live-action Ezra, a live-action Thrawn. I think people would literally lose their crap if that happens, <laughs> you know? I know. I, and if she... I don't want to get my hopes up too much because it would be really cool to get that. I have a feeling that it might be like hinted at, but if she's just chilling on like a particular, you know, woodsy, foresty planet and Bo-Katan knows exactly where she is, um, it almost sounds a little bit like retirement-like to me. Like you can find Yoda on Dagobah to me. Um, I just don't know if that's Ahsoka's character though. Like she's got to have a purpose. Right. What is she, why is she on a planet that she's just sitting there for Bo-Katan to be like, I know where she is, you know? Yeah. So I wonder what, at what point, like, has that already happened? Did she already find Ezra and now she's, has a bunch of little children that she's teaching the ways of, like, to be balanced in the forest on this little forest planet? Or is she just like, like, why is she, why is she somewhere, why is she known? Why is her location just that easily known? And why isn't she just kind of, like, bouncing around? That, I don't Things know. I want to know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's obviously a lot of different directions that this story could go. And now, I mean, after watching the first episode, I was thinking, okay, Boba is going to be playing like a major role as we continue. And, you know, down the road, he'll probably be in this quite a bit. But now, I don't know. I mean, we got, we got Bo and we're going to see Ahsoka. Is Boba even going to play a role I, I i don't know if we see ahsoka will sabine show up i don't know i mean there's a lot of different directions that this could go uh and we already know there's going to be another season so it's possible that we very much uh have to wait of course there's the whole storyline with moff gideon too i mean there's a ton that they're sort of leading up to i feel like so 
we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode of The Mandalorian, The Heiress, Chapter 11. And we'll be, of course, back next week to talk about Chapter 12. And if you guys are interested, every Thursday we've been posting a reaction on our website, twinsonsoutpost.com. Three members of our team will write a paragraph on their reaction to that episode so pretty excited about that and if you guys are interested pay attention on our social media pages for those to show up on thursday mornings every week so be on the lookout for that this thursday jesse before we go where can people find us on social media you can find us on facebook twitter instagram and youtube all under the same handle at twin sons outpost All right, thank you so much for listening to episode 189 of Twin Suns Transmission. Of course, we wish you a happy life day from everybody here at Twin Suns. We'll see you next week, guys. May the force be with you. Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall, Harrison Dula from Star Wars Rebels. You've been listening to Twin Suns Transmission, an exciting show where sand gets everywhere. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Twin Suns Podcast Network. May the Force be with you, always. It's controlled by the hut. Rendezvous point on Halloween. You're starting to annihilate me, I think.